This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following podcast contains explicit language. Friday, October 7th, 2016, from Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. As we await the next presidential debate, as I prepare for a gist rapid response that will appear in your gist feed on Monday morning, we can only give you bits of a preview right now. One, it will be interesting to see how Donald Trump responds when an average citizen asks, as an average citizen will, hey, I pay taxes. You didn't. You said that makes you smart. Does that make me stupid? By the way, this is definitely going to be asked And I think what Trump needs to go with is, no, it doesn't make you stupid. What it does is make you a victim of our terrible tax code, and I'm the one to avenge all the victims. And if Trump isn't prepared to take this exact question and turn it into a positive, you gotta wonder if he and Roger Ailes were busy playing grab ass instead of prepping for this debate. Of course, he's also going to say he loves this explanation, that he used and abused the tax code And that makes him armed with knowledge. Only he who has taken a bat to the tax code knows how to defeat the tax code. And in that spirit, I predict that he will announce that he has enlisted a key advisor to steer him through another of his signature issues, the issue of law and order, the fact that murder rates have spiked by 10% in several cities. And he is going to announce during Sunday's debate that on the Trump team, He signed up Gary Ridgway. Gary Ridgway will be a fantastic advisor. He will bring back law and order because only Gary Ridgway, as the Green River Killer, knows how the legal system works. Gary Ridgway has confessed to 48 murders. Some people say it's more than 100. Then he was killing for himself, but now he'll be working his killing deals for you, the American people. That was offensive. Sure it was. But it's also a fiction. And you know, you know that it's a bit of nonfiction that Trump is going to go there regarding Bill Clinton's infidelities. I mean, I'm just imagining Trump in his bunker looking around to his brain trust. There's Rudy Giuliani. There's Roger Ailes. There's Newt Gingrich. There's himself. And they're all saying, how could a wife allow this? And the brain trust will be saying, exactly. The wife must be brought to account. It's exact. It just, it seems like such a bad idea. Doesn't it seem like a bad idea? I mean, it's such a bad idea. Maybe even Trump won't broach the subject, right? There is this chance that he thinks he's playing this really, really clever mind game, right? That he's telling himself, oh, I'm getting in her head by floating the possibility that I'm going to do this. I'm making her prepare for things that I'd never do, right? And it reminds me of when Bobby Riggs played Billie Jean King. That's actually the perfect analogy for this campaign. It was kind of unbelievable that Bobby Riggs won the preliminary match against Margaret Court. Shocking, a shocking upset to get to the main stage. But then when he was finally facing a really accomplished competitor, Billie Jean King, none of his stuff worked. 
It came down to this big spectacle in the Astrodome. Riggs was actually a two and a half to one favorite and Billie Jean King beat him in straight sets. Turns out she was much better at tennis and exposed his flaws. The analogy is not perfect, right? Today, Hillary Clinton's actually the favorite, but two and a half to one, actually. And although Riggs did have the Trumpian skills of a huckster, unlike Donald Trump, Bobby Riggs once was actually ranked as the top player in his sport. On the show today, I spiel about another debate, a different debate. This one also features an outsider billionaire who doesn't do much homework, but has a message of change. Jim Justice is a Democrat running for governor of West Virginia, and the debate he just had, well, it was something. But first, Phoebe Robinson, in her new book, has a whole chapter called How to Avoid Being the Black Friend. And as you'll hear in this interview, she and I tried to avoid that fate befalling us. We really did, but we just got along so well. Oh, well, here's 50% of the dope queens herself, Phoebe Robinson. Phoebe Robinson is one of the two titular dope queens. (laughs) Please don't take that the wrong way, Phoebe. She is also... Uh, the first anthropologist to point out that the world of podcasts, or at least the world at large, is full of so many white guys. <laughs> and her new book is called You Can't Touch My Hair and Other Things I Still Have to Explain. Hello, Phoebe. Hello. I how wanna, are you? I'm good. I want to thank you. Not so much in The Two Dope Queens, which is a great title, but your other two projects. Not only is it a title and a calling card, just the title itself is an instruction. You've made yeah. us wiser from the title alone. <laughs> yeah, it's been fine. I'm I'm really big into titles because I want them to be catchy and get people's attention. Yeah. And that's been a fun one. Like on Twitter, a lot of the black girls are like, yes, this happens to me all the time at work. Ugh. And then there'll be like white guys and they're like egg avatars who are like, no one wants to touch your hair. You're self-centered and all this other stuff. And I'm like, Whoa. so it's a very different reaction. What is it with the egg avatar? <sighs> are they just people who don't have the time or they don't even yeah. have the technological Smarts to put up a uh, a picture of themselves and they change their name to you know deplorable Ken <laughs> or deplorable John. Yeah, they're just trolls and like you know what I get is nothing compared to someone like Lindy West or Le- Leslie Jones. So I'm like fine with it, but yeah, it's a lot of angry dudes. Yeah, mad that I wrote a book. Do you think there? So you have pictures of uh, many famous haircuts, and of mm-hmm, course, uh, mm-hmm. Erica Badu is I mean, uh, chief among them. Do you legendary. think? Do you think that there is such a thing as too far when it goes to black girl's hair that borders on the topiary? No, I feel like because historically black hair has been very controversial in society and there's been a lot of like, you know, we all a lot of us grow up thinking that we need to straighten our hair and that's what we do. So I think I know for me personally, I like to have fun with my hair. So on the book cover, I have like a nice blonde wig like froey <laughs> wig and then normally my regular afro is like dark I have dark dark brown hair and i look it's kind of like frederick douglas e mm-hmm. you know but then like this summer i wanted to have yeah. something light and fun like beyonce-esque so i just like to have fun with it and and feel like i have the power when it comes to my hair and i'm not like stressed out by society i like frederick douglas yeah. hair you're hoping to get to that invitation to the white house by uh, teddy roosevelt <laughs> exactly. that's the way to do it <laughs> 
Yeah, he looks like. Um, what about the uh, kid in play hair? Was it kid or play? Yeah, yeah. It's it very, uh, that's, I feel like a lot of the 90s haircuts are coming back, which yeah. is really cool. I think the big, and what do I know? Not only am I not a black woman, I have no hair. But, <laughs> you know, there was a time when it was thought that if there were a lot of black celebrities, mm-hmm. uh, would do well for society. And, you know, th- this notion that just the presence of Bill Cosby on iSpy would create a lot of uh, racial, I don't know, harmony or progress. Mm-hmm. And maybe it did to some extent. But I think there's a disconnect between celebrity hair or hair that, you know, can get celebrated if you're the drummer on uh, Fallon, right? Mm-hmm. So Questlove, greatest hair. Yeah. But that hair in the workplace. And I don't even mean the really buttoned down workplace. I mean, just the generic, I'm not, I don't even have to see the public. I'm in the back room doing some taxes. And I think that's the kind of next step to aim for. Yeah, for for sure. Because I I know there's this federal ruling that came out two weeks ago where if you have dreadlocks, it's legal for companies to not hire you. That's infuriating because it's like, oh, well, it's cool when, you know, Marc Jacobs has his all white models wear dreadlocks that's fashion and trendy yeah but if you know i want to work in it at whatever company i can't have dreadlocks so i think that is the next step i think it's people tend to be like oh well if you're famous or you're a celebrity you're not really a part of your group whether you're not like yeah you're gay but you're like a safe gay you know what i mean like you i can relate to you but then it's like well there's what about all the other everyday gay people that you don't relate to right i also think there's a thing where if a celebrity has really cool hair or dresses in a certain way but let's keep it on the hair Mm -hmm. people can almost process it like a costume and it's Mm -hmm. part of their celebrity but it's not it's actually part of their personage yeah and then people are like oh that's your cool brand so like you know Questlove with like the afro and the afro pick that's like iconic visually yes but if he was not famous and just walking around a grocery store he would be followed you know what I mean so it's that kind of disconnect I think that's unfortunate controversial statement I think that it should be okay not to hire a white guy with dreadlocks. Your comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with that. I think that's okay. <laughs> because not because of the dreadlocks, but you yeah. know what that correlates to. Yeah. String cheese incident, <laughs> hacky sacking. I think when we get our first white vice presidential candidate with dreadlocks, then we know we've gotten someplace. <laughs> I'll take it. That'd be great. <laughs> so tell me about so many white guys. First of all, uh, S and then three O's three in the title. Three O's. Like yeah. So How'd you make that decision? So many. That why was... not two? Why not? Obviously, it can't just be one, but right. why not two? Why not four? Well, Alana Glazer, who is the EP of it yeah. from Broad City, we were talking about, we literally had a, a sit down. Of course, titles. Talking about the O's. Yeah. And we thought two people might be like, Sue? Many? So we're like, it needs to be like so, but not too many O's. Right. Because so then it's just look at me and an indulgence. Yeah. Exactly. So three O's felt perfect. And it was really great to have her come on board and, you know, validate the podcast in a way. And I think it encouraged people <clears throat> like uh, Janet Mock and Casas Wu. And they, they recognized that this was going to be a legit interview show and not just some ding dong in a basement being like, hey, I like you. You're really cool. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, the mics work. Okay, yeah. like the first eight minutes of the podcast. Okay, hold on. Let me position the mics. Exactly. Like, God, what an indulgence. Yeah. Um, she's the executive producer? Yeah. And what yeah. does that mean? <clears throat> so she She's like giving you notes. She's getting you on the phone after every episode. <laughs> no, you got to cut that sibilant yeah. S in minute 38. <laughs> um, so as the EP, she helps with a lot of the booking. She helps with a lot of promoting on social media. 
And then um, she was in the middle of writing season four of Broad City. So she wasn't able to really listen to every rough cut of the episode, which is what I did. And I gave notes back. And then all the amazing producers at WNYC made it perfect. How long have you known her? Alana and I met seven or eight years ago when we did the stand-up show at Karma Lounge. Do you know that? It's like a hookah bar in the Lower East Side. And it was like in the basement and it was like a leaky roof. Like it was just one of those like kind of divey stand-up shows. We just She had a great joke about Sex and the City not having black people in it. And I was like, this girl's awesome. And we just hit it off. And, you know, then she was doing Broad City. And we we would just G-chat all the time about like what we want to do with our careers. So... To see us now, it's really, really, really cool. She's gotten, I mean, from the first season of Broad City, you're like, wow, this Mm -hmm. is, I think I'm watching some version of burgeoning genius. And they've just gotten more confident Mm -hmm. as years go on. Sometimes you see the person burst onto the scene and they had like one thing to say or they couldn't sustain it. They couldn't build on it. But that show has gotten better and appreciably better every year. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, I love I, that show. Yeah, it's so amazing. I think what's great about Abby and Alana um, is that they're creators. Like, they're not just like, oh, I'm an actor. You can plug me in anywhere. Like, they write. They're in the room with the editing. They're acting. So they really come from a place of knowing how to do a lot of things, and they really have a lot to say, and they just work so well together. Well, you and Jessica are like that, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know what you want to say. Yeah. Uh, Do you guys see yourself as a comedy team, per se? It's tough because I think Jess and I do a lot of things independently like she just wrapped a indie movie that she shot with uh chris o'dowd uh-huh but yeah i think two dope queens is like something really special and i know we want to take it on the road so i think we're hoping that maybe we could do a tour sometime next year yeah fingers crossed i could see um, that happening yeah i think it'd be super fun i think we work well together so because you do the shows at the bell house yeah do you keep getting the same people not only the same people but is the crowd are there regulars who show up to almost everyone there are some <laughs> regulars but i think uh we Notice there are some people scalping tickets, oh. which is a bummer. It's like so, someone said that they had tickets on Craigslist for $70, and I was like, come on, guys, like, don't do that. Like, we want to have a fun show and not feel like people are spending a hundred bucks to see us. That's crazy. How much are they? How much are the tickets? Go They're for? normally 20. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like affordable because we want it to be like, you know, everyone can come see us. You um, guys are very funny comedians, but terrible capitalists. I if know. The market <laughs> demands 70, charge 70. I know. But here's what I mean by comedy team, mm-hmm. as opposed to two funny people co-hosting a show. Yeah. There is a rhythm to comedy teams, and mm-hmm. it is a filling in the gap thing. There is one or two exceptions. Like, I think the Sklar brothers yeah. are a weird comedy team because you can't, can't actually distinguish them, and that's their thing. But, you know, going back to Laurel and Hardy or going back back to Abbott and Costello, or just even R2-D2 and C-3PO, there is always, you know, just types. And I wonder if you guys find yourself falling into certain roles where you complement each other. Yeah, I think, I don't want to say she's a more serious one, but I think I'm I'm more of a goofball than her. This is what I would say. You know what I mean? Her comedy is more likely to be the caustic, cutting Mm. comment. Yeah. And your comedy is more likely to be the goofball a little bit out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that works really well. And then also we have the factor where I'm a little bit older than her. So, 
you know, I'm always pretending like I'm so much like. But I'm, that's only because she's yeah. ridiculously young. I know. Like, I she was know. on the Daily Show at 12, wasn't? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, she got the job. She wasn't even done with college. Right. I mean, it's crazy. Um, Although these days that could be, you know, eight nine years. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Before that was a podcast. Were you into podcasts? Yeah, I was listening to a lot of um, WTF, obviously, because I'm a, a stand-up comic as well. And then things like Radio Lab, I really like, and I just like a lot of like interview shows. Uh, let me ask you this: mm-hmm. I, uh, On WTF, he interviewed Mindy Kaling, and it was a compelling interview, but it was a little uncomfortable. He started off. I guess trying to bond with her mm-hmm. over Indian food and you could tell she was over it. So I guess my question is, you know, how do you navigate it and how should I navigate it? It all depends on how you come across, how you decide to ask people questions. Like I think asking Mindy about Indian food, you don't need to do that. I know you're like trying to find common ground, but it's like, well, maybe she likes the Beatles and you like the Beatles. You could start with that. You know what I mean? So I especially say the sitar parts of the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. No, that would be like, that would be within you without you. That would also be a misstep. Yes. All right, let's do. I don't know if this is lightning round, but since you are Ooh. one of the two dope queens, I'll ask you some queens related questions. Oh okay? my gosh. This or that. You ready? Okay. Queen Latifah or Freddie Mercury and Queen. <sighs> No, that's it's a t- hard. It's a tough right oh my out god, the gate. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Uh, <laughs> Freddie Mercury. It, it's hard not to say Queen Latifah, but come on, you got to give it up for Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, do you say Queensboro Bridge or 59th Street Bridge? Queensboro. You do. Yeah. I say 59th. We never say Ed Koch Bridge. I never say no. that. No. <laughs> do you ever use any of the newfangled names for any of the bridges or tunnels or roadways? No, like what are some? Like, well, uh, what's the Triborough now? It's a Kennedy. It's Robert Kennedy. Oh, no, no, yeah. I'm not. But that's and the, uh, and the uh, uh, Brooklyn Battery Tunnel is the, I think, the Mayor Lindsay Tunnel. No. I'll tell you one you do yeah. use. You probably use the Jackie Robinson Parkway instead of the Interborough Parkway. Yeah, I do. Why? Is... Why do I do that, though? Because who wants to say the Interborough Parkway? <laughs> the worst <laughs> name for true. a park. Aren't all parkways Interborough? Yeah, yeah. They're just inside a borough. <laughs> and I also say the Major Deegan instead of the draft. Kings.com Deacon. That's a yeah. new thing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there. All right. Um Queen's Gambit or the Rui Lopez? These are different chess openings. Which do you prefer? Oh, Queen's what? The Queen's Gambit or the Rui Lopez? I feel like I've heard the Queen's Gambit before. Yeah. So well, I'll there's do the that. Queen's Gambit accepted or the Queen's Gambit declined. It oh my gosh. You're really I no one's ever asked you about chess. <laughs> This is great. I'm not putting you in a box. No, I'll take that. Queen's Gambit. That sounds dope. And now we're finally going to do the borough rankings. Okay. Queens or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. Of course. Yeah. Queens or the, I'll give you another easy one. Queens or Staten Island? Queens. <laughs> Clearly. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Okay. Queens or Manhattan? Manhattan, I right? think you'd have to say it. Yeah. Now, this is the one. I don't know where you're yeah. going to go. Queens or Bronx? Oh... That's tough. That's tough. I think that Bronx symbolizes a lot of things. Like hip-hop, like everything. That's where it started. And yeah. yet, where are you spending most of your time? Yeah. When you go to the Bronx, you're usually leaving. Yeah. <laughs> and then Queens is What's like, the longest sustained period any of us have ever been in the Bronx? Like three hours right. for the zoo. <laughs> Queens, you spend the weekend there. Yeah, yeah, there's like the beer garden. Yeah. It's like really lovely. There's like uh-huh. a lot of shops. But I don't know. The Bronx is attached to the mainland. It is. And aren't there like a lot of breakdancing movies that are like based in the Bronx? Like, sure. Like, Breaking, Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo, yeah, Breaking Three, Electric Tweedledee. The Tweedle Warriors D. also based in the Bronx. No, Coney Island, Brooklyn, right? Okay. They're coming, yeah. 
I think also I not a breakdancing movie. <laughs> I know, but I'm just like other like kind of street. Did movies. anticipate breakdancing. All right, yeah. so here here we go. This I've... is the big one, Queens of the Bronx. I think I want to go Bronx. All right, Phoebe... I'm gonna don't be mad at me, guys. We're not mad. <laughs> Phoebe Robinson is the author of "You Can't Touch My Hair" and other things. I still have to explain. Her podcasts are so many white guys. And two Bronx queens. No, wait a minute. <laughs> Sorry. Two dope queens. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. This was great. And now the spiel. So in Sunday's presidential debate, you'll see a political outsider, a man who describes himself as a self-made billionaire, even though there was a lot of inheritance going on. And this man will be running against an establishment incumbent. He'll be saying that it's a vote for change. This also describes precisely what's happening in West Virginia, except it's the Democrat who's the billionaire. And he has got a great name, better than Trump, Justice, Jim Justice. He also owns resorts and golf clubs that he's constantly plugging. Justice, West Virginia's only billionaire, made most of his money, however, in agriculture and coal. And now Justice, in the state of West Virginia, is against coal. That's because he's running against Bill Cole, who's the Senate president. But it makes it weird when Justice, in his debate, says things like this. We're not giving up on coal, and there's all kinds of alternative uses for coal. But in addition to that, you know, give us clean coal. No, 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 you're against coal. Okay, the coal you're running against is C-O-L-E. He's the man. He's not the carbonite substance. And that man's not that popular, or at least he wasn't, heading into this week's debate. So, Bill Cole tried to essentially imitate Taylor Swift singing Shake It Off. My opponent also, you'll hear tonight, will, will come with platitudes and slogans like jobs, jobs, jobs. But Jim, I have to ask, what's your plan, plan, plan? Now, you may have noticed in that clip that Bill Cole nicely fills out the lower register of your auditory experience. So of all the things the guy complains about. Uh, some four years ago, I, f I was frustrated with the direction West Virginia was taken. I ran for the state Senate, was elected, spent two years in a minority, and because of the good old boys in charge, found quickly that my voice was uh, limited to, well, virtually zero. So had no voice. Cole then swore if defeated, he would go back to the West Virginia Senate and also continue to run his line of car dealerships. Yes, he's a used car salesman running for governor. Well, new and previously owned cars. Additionally, Cole swore that he would continue to be on call if that one Oak Ridge boy ever got sick. Now, Justice didn't seem that impressed by Bill Cole. This job is not that hard. He didn't seem that impressed by other states. I mean, every day we wake up and look at the television and the television says, come to Michigan, come to Michigan. Well, who wants to go to Michigan? And Justice didn't seem to have carefully thought out plans for rejuvenation. Doesn't seem like he's been working on these plans for years. I just thought of an idea just the other day. Do you realize that 77% of this state is forested today? We need to get something for that. There's a real way, a real possibility to actually maybe bring the American furniture ma manufacturing business back and maybe even back to West Virginia. I mean, Justice argued, West Virginia needs to think big. How big? Well, hello, Dolly. We need to be able to think big. We need the next Dollywood. All right, let me set the visual. Bill Cole looks like the kind of guy who may just dislodge your lung when he thumps you on the back, vowing to put you into this Nissan Sentra. 
But the 65-year-old justice had on a dark suit that was wearing him, and he has snowy white hair, and he has jowls that seem to be well on their way to Michigan, and he has a general corporeal abundance, let's just say. Less abundant in the gubernatorial debate were um, details. Can you, in the next 15 or 20 seconds, just give us one example of a cut? I really can't. And the reason that I can't is because I have not been in office. And that gives you a taste of who won this debate. It wasn't Justice. It wasn't Cole. It was the moderator, a West Virginia public media reporter named Ashton Mara, who graduated from the University of West Virginia just four years ago. She now hosts public affairs shows on West Virginia public media. She pressed the candidates politely. She asked good questions. And at times, just by being polite, and organized, she exposed their flaws. I want to think about education in a completely different way. I'll tell you about that later. You actually have the time to do that right now. It's your 90-second response. Okay. Just today, Howard Burkus of NPR broke some big news about Jim Justice. The guy's a deadbeat. He owes $15 million in taxes and fines. Fines for mine safety violation. He's now the nation's top mine safety delinquent. And even if you're saying, well, it's just business, or maybe that's how billionaires and the government arrange their schedule of payments, there are some other details. Five years ago, to great fanfare, Justice announced he'd be giving $10 million to the Cleveland Clinic. Now, the Cleveland Clinic told NPR, quote, no money was received from Mr. Justice. And you know, if the clinic is going on record saying that, they have totally written off the potential of an eight-figure donor. That's big. Also, five years ago, Justice announced he'd be giving money to the Boy Scouts. And he did. He did give $2.5 million. They're still waiting for the other $22.5 million that he promised them. Polling out of West Virginia is scarce. Justice was leading, though in this odd state, Trump is popular and could provide coattails for Bill Cole. As for West Virginia's sole billionaire, he might not be getting his merit badge for honoring commitments, but I will give him the last word. I guess what I'm just buffooned and I don't get it. And that's it for today's show. No one knows how to exploit the Arby's menu like just producer Mary Wilson. That's why you need to elect her if you want all the horsey sauce you can handle. And no one knows how to navigate songs in the round like just producer Chris Berube. That's why you need to elect him Choral Master and then do that again in five seconds, and then five seconds after that. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcasts, but he also knows all the cheat codes to Street Fighter 4 on Xbox. So up, up, down, down, left, left, right, X, and you will see extra features about Akuma and Gaukin. No one knows how to evade Indiana's fairly strict hog slaughtering laws, like chief content officer of the Panoply Network, Andy Bowers. That's why you should vote for him as Indiana's agricultural commissioner, or at least invite him to your next barbecue. The gist, no one knows how to answer basic ontological questions of being in existence like the gist. That's why you have to elect us, or don't, or if you're a determinist, you probably already have. Oomperu depperu du and thanks for listening.